Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and I'm joined as always by the birthday boy, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen, who's turned 46. Well, you're going to turn 46 tomorrow. Correct. This is the, the vagaries of time where when we're recording this, I will be turning 46 tomorrow. But when we release this, I will have turned 46 five days ago. So, If you were a whiskey, you would not need to be chill filtered. Do you know that? Oof. If I was a whiskey, oh, <laughs> I would be pretty woody by this point. If you, which is the exact would, opposite of reality. What would you be? Like, if, if you would say, I am a X, what, what personality, what distillery matches your personality, do you think? It's interesting because I initially, I, the first word that came to mind was Springbank. Huh. I would be a Springbank. But then I think, that's a bit show-offy, is it not? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm one of the very best single malts. And so I feel like that maybe doesn't fit. However, however it's not like Springbank walk around saying, we are one of the best single malts. They just get on about their business. Yeah. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm a get-on-about-your-business kind of guy. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think I might be an Aaron. That was my backup choice. But, I, backup but choice? it's easy for me to pick an Aaron because I grew up literally across the water from Aaron. So naming Aaron would have been very easy. But so why, why would you be an Aaron? Okay. And then, and then I'm going to throw that question right back at you. Because... <laughs> why would I have been an Aaron? Because, other than you living, you know, across, you know, the channel from it and, and all that stuff. Um, when you say the channel, it's the... Fjord. I'm sorry. Fjord. Is that the better term? <laughs> If you're mispronouncing Firth of Clyde, but here we are. <laughs> oh, Firth of Clyde. If you say fjord, that's actually sh- um, short for Firth I just of don't Clyde. know where you got channel from. Anyway, carry on. I don't on, know where you got channel from either. So there's, there's always, in my opinion, Aaron has always had this sort of humble appeal to them. You know, they're, they're not necessarily shouting to the rooftops, like, mm-hmm. check us out. It's... Mm-hmm. Here we are, we're, we're making whiskey, hope you enjoy it. But at the same time, their master distiller, uh, James McTaggart, is a musician and he loves playing in front of people and during the Aaron you know, malt music festival, his band gets up and they play. And uh, you know, I've always found uh, a connection with James McTaggart. Indeed you have. You know? so, so I think that I might be an Aaron. Okay. I think I might be a little citrusy, like an Aaron. <laughs> I love citrus so much. See, for somebody born and raised in Scotland, I absolutely fucking love lime. I absolutely adore it. Lime makes me insanely happy. And As, I'm not saying I get lime from Aaron, but there's clearly a citrusy component yeah. to Aaron. As a UK resident, you know, growing up as, as a UK resident, you know, knowing that that so many of your brethren down south in England died from oh, scurvy. So, yeah, yeah. So you mean, um, so you mean, grow, growing up in Scotland? I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, did is that? Did were you just fed limes to not die from scurvy? No, no. But I did like clementines. We always had clementines around the house. Oh, my darling. Clementines are hit and miss, though. Limes, limes never let me down. No. There you yeah. go. I, I I really firmly believe in it, and. It, the other part with Aaron is they've added a second distillery 
And I think as we become men of a certain age, we're, mm. we're adding more to ourselves as well. You know, we're getting a little wider in parts, you know, we're kind of adding on some, mm-hmm. some, you know, pounds, human pounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so the fact that Aaron has now added on an entire new distillery, I, I hope I don't end up there, but I, I, I feel them. I feel, I feel that level of addition. Right around the waist. <laughs> right around the waist. Um, yep, and it's, so, the, it's, so, the, it's the COVID-19, right? Oh, gosh. That's what you gain. It's the COVID-19. Is that it? Like the freshman 15, we've now got the COVID-19? Yeah, exactly. That's it. Makes sense. Um, and so I, I would like to, on, on our podcast, uh, in our meeting with Jess the other day, we were having some fun. So Aaron, as we're talking about, is 1995. And I was 21. You were 22. And and Jess was six. <laughs> <laughs> there's just a little, there's a little something about that that makes you go, yeah, I'm old. I'm old. Uh, so... So I wanted to get that in there because you and I in the meeting the other day were kind of like, oof, that's a hell of a thing to admit to. But there we are, 21, 22. And I guess you were you were coming 22 that December. You were 21 and a half. And uh, I, was, I was two days after my 21st birthday when they opened. And I wasn't even in Scotland. I was in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> oh. And I didn't even like whiskey. So it, it really... Didn't matter a hell of beans but you, to me. You weren't living in the U.S. at that time, right? Because it was. It's been, no, it was a summer. Yeah, that was. I spent the summer. The summer. Oh, okay. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I spent a summer working with my cousin and his wife in their okay. Schlotzky's delis. All right. In, uh, in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, it was a good summer, and none of them drank. And so on my twenty-first birthday, we went out for we went out for lunch, and we went out for dinner, but nobody drank anything. Hmm. And so that was that was strange. And then it wasn't until you know. 18 months later, when I, I went back to university, went to the University of Aberdeen, then I started getting into whiskey with Betty P. Ryan, who I've mentioned plenty mm. of times on the pod. And and that was it. So, yeah, even when, when Aaron opened, I, I wasn't a whiskey drinker and didn't really register for me. Speaking of whiskey drinking, speaking of birthdays, thank you for my birthday pour that we're enjoying on the podcast today. You were kind enough to send me a single malt's of Scotland Imperial 30-year-old, distilled uh, 1189. So for, for UK, it's, it, now it's a UK company, for their US releases, are they using UK style or US style? I think that they're using UK style. Okay. I, 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 I would almost so put the 1st of it. November. Let's take a look. So I'm guessing it would have been bottled then the first of November 2019 because this is the this is the juice that came in in early 2020. Correct. What I'm what I'm yeah. trying to look for is the the distillation <laughs> one that has date. a number above 12. Yeah, right. <laughs> like oh no, that's one of our bottlings. Hold on. <laughs> ah, here we go. So they do do it the UK style because okay. the Lechig 14 year old was bottled. 18 11 2009 so november 18. 18 11 there you go i have one of i've i have actually have two of those coming for my birthday that's what i bought myself smart i mean truth be told i bought for you as a birthday gift something i would love <laughs> however 
I will tell you of all of the all of, all of the whiskeys in the single malts of Scotland first release, the Litchig Fourteen is my favorite out, out of mm-hmm. all ten of them. I just think it shines brightly like a diamond. So you're going to love, love, love that whiskey. Yeah, it was meant to be here just before my birthday. It's going to be here just after my birthday, but that's tickety-boo. I, I've got some other pours I can probably open on my birthday. I mm. don't think I'm going to hurt here. Maybe even some other chigs that I might want to open on my birthday as well. All so. right, there you go. Anywho, enough about me. <laughs> what do you think about yeah. me? What would you like to say about my birthday? <laughs> uh, I told you that story really quickly. This is great. So I used to have a customer in my old life before I was selling whiskey. I had a customer who was who was uh, telling us all about his business. And then he was probably going on for 10 minutes. And after that, he kind of paused and he said, you know what? Enough about me talking about me. Let's hear you talk about me. <laughs> There you go. Perfect. There you Perfect. go. Perfect. But you know who we need to talk about? That's today's yes. guest. Oh, speaking of guests, yeah. a lot of great feedback surrounding the Daniel Whiteson episode. Oh my gosh, yes. My brother reached out. Normally his favorite episodes are the ones he gets mentioned in. And in this instance, he he pointed out that the Daniel Whiteson might be his favorite One Nation Under Whiskey episode. What I love about that comment and your brother in general, is he's not one to do anyone any favors. He doesn't need to listen to this. I mean, sure, I'm, he wants to hear his brother talk and, you know. I'm not sure he does. Eh, you know, okay, so yes, he wants to hear <laughs> I think one you've of overstated his, it. <laughs> he wants to hear one of his best friends talk, you know, that's me, so. But, you know, he's, he, he's, he's done his fair bit of saying, could have done this one better, or that guest ummed and odd a bit too much, you know, he... He's perfectly fine handing out criticism and he doesn't need to listen to the podcast because he is not a whiskey drinker. So to hear him say that, because he, he said some other things, how engaging it was and, and just interesting, etc. cetera. Um, yeah, it was really nice to see. It was nice, yeah. yeah. Uh, really cool. So that was good. And then talking about a previous guest when we had Amanda Schuster on, mm-hmm. we'll get to it later in the episode, but today's email actually harks back to having Amanda Schuster on as a guest as well. That's a really nice email from, you know, somebody who we're, we're hearing from more and more is Christopher Sebastian. And, and so the emails from him about Amanda Schuster, but that's all I wanted to say about prior guests. Mm-hmm. Back to today's guest. Well, today's guest was a prior guest. He, <laughs> uh, so this is Matt or Matthew. I don't, I don't know if he prefers Matt or Matthew. I don't quite remember. I've seen him sign at Matt. Matt, yeah, I think you're right. So, so today's I guest... I only call him Skinny. I know. Today's guest <laughs> is Matt Skinny Roberts, mm-hmm. and he is the special projects coordinator at Black Raven Brewing in Washington State in Redmond. Is it Redmond? Yeah, Redmond. Redmond. Yeah, I just didn't know if it was Redmond or Redmond. Like, how would you pronounce that? Is there anywhere in the United States that puts that level of emphasis on the second syllable? Oh, you know, it might be Redmond. I think that's what it is, Redmond. <laughs> now you've got it, yeah. Like St. Louis in Missouri. <laughs> in Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he was such a wonderful guest when we did our live podcast at Westland where he came mm-hmm. in as a brewer, 
Matt Hoffman was there as the distiller. Then there was a wine producer on, you know, on the on the panel as panel. well. And so it was really lovely having Matt back to geek out specifically around fermentation. And I know you want to add some things in here as well. Yeah, exactly. One of the things we hear from our our listeners all the time is about yeast. Mm. And oftentimes when we get onto the subject of distilling, we bypass yeast, I think, too quickly. And so when you you or I are leading Whiskey Geek Tours of Scotland and we're tasting wash, we're trying to ask about yeast and yeast presence and yeast Mm -hmm. flavours, Anytime we've gone to Westland, we've talked with Matt Hoffman over there about yeast, about flavors, about cold crashing. Uh, they're using the Belgian brewer's yeast over there. Sure. You know, it means, means a lot to them. In talking to a brewer, they don't have distillation at the end of this. <laughs> Your flavors are not magically or mysteriously coming from anywhere else. Yeah. It's the barley going in. And it's the yeast that you're using for fermentation. And so he was more than happy to focus on yeast. And I think in talking to a brewer, uh, the same way in going to a distillery and talking to a a, a mashman, which is still the the name of the job, even though mash person might be more accurate, Mm -hmm. you know, speaking to the person in charge of the mash who's responsible for creating the wort that then goes on to become the wash. Mm that person in the distillery is more than happy to talk about the barley, the grain, and talk about the yeast, the, the, the fermentables. Sure. And, and, so, and so in spending that type of time with Skinny, tasting the beers with him, and then adding that additional step of cask maturation mm-hmm. and talking to him about what you need to be careful with, really you know, what can overpower your flavours, um, you know, really delving into that, really fascinating stuff. Uh, and we didn't have to worry about the conversation fast forwarding into distillation. We got to keep it in what I consider that raw product yeah. that then gets treated by the cask in some interesting and you know, unique way. Yeah, you know, when we thought about this interview, part of me... You know, I said to myself, are, are we going, are we taking another detour here? And I don't think that we're taking a detour with this. If anything, we're just kind of stopping short of the secondary process of distillation, right? We're just focusing mm-hmm. on the fermentation, but then throwing in the addition, like you had said, of cask maturation of the beers. And I really enjoyed talking with with Matt and hearing what he's up against. You know, when you put it into cask, you know, we talk about head retention is lost, right? Sometimes some of the fizziness goes away. So, you know, it really... Well, and, and for me, the number one concern is that the contents, the previous contents of that cask completely overwhelm the beer, yeah. which has been so interesting with, with the lockdown and COVID-19 you and I doing so many Zoom tastings together and hearing you, I think, very nicely articulate our position, not just on older whiskies, although it does come up there, but whiskies in general, where you and I are never looking for the cask to completely overwhelm the distillery spirit. Mm-hmm. We still want to place 
that distillery house style through the spirit, through the mature whiskey, mm-hmm. and then have it be framed by the cask. Correct. Not not just, oh, this is a delicious sherry. Uh, who put whiskey in here? <laughs> um, you know, in, instead, it, it still has to be whiskey driven. And for me, with beer, it still needs to be beer driven. And that was the pleasure of tasting with Skinny in the interview as well, mm. is the beers that he sent us were absolutely fantastic yes and and the barrel matured one that we enjoyed really showed the beer the house beer with the whiskey influence really cracking really 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 tasty and terrific yep and and it was nice too and if i remember the conversation correctly we discussed the westland black raven project where Black Raven gave up some of their, you know, sour cherry casks to Westland to mature some of their their whiskey in. And what a beautiful pairing that was. What a wonderful combination. It, it just goes to show you that beers can be great matured in a whiskey barrel mm-hmm. and whiskey mm-hmm. can be great matured in a beer barrel. The two can play quite nicely together. I think that's the perfect point at which to pivot over to Skinny. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, Jason and I are very excited to be talking with you. I wonder if you would just start off letting people know who you are, where you work, what's your title, etc., and what it is you do. So my title is Special Projects Coordinator. I'm not really sure what that even means. Um, I generally handle R&D, adjunct process. Maybe we, like we do a coconut porter. I revise how we did the coconut, how much different processes to streamline it, make it more effective and last longer in product. I also handle barrel program, wild and sour beers. Okay and one-off collaboration beers and just try and brew new things and push the envelope, bring in ingredients we may not have used before to find out exactly how they work and gather that data. Right, right. Is there a central ethos under which Black Raven operates? Yeah, we are really, really passionate about making sure the end product is you know free of defect if if we notice a batch that has picked up oxygen in some way or has off flavors or off characteristics we don't fuck around it's going down the drain or we'll figure out a way to repurpose it maybe it didn't finish where it needs to so we'll turn it into a weird side project where hey we've got some few puree fruit puree jesus christ and (laughs) we'll re-kickstart fermentation and try and gain all these flavors and then we may go well these hops work really well with these fruits or have these fruit notes and we'll throw it in there a lot of that is my brain and my weirdness figuring it out that's very cool that's very very cool you know just trying to bring this to the whiskey end of things you know when most scotch whiskey producers talk about grain they, you know, for the most part, they're not too concerned of the type of grain, what flavors it may impart, but more, 
it's a yield issue, right? They, they want to get the best grain to give them the best yield so they can produce the most spirit. And you'll find, you know, distilleries over the years changing, right? One grain will be in favor for a few years, and then they find they've started a new species of barley, and they switch to that because the yield has increased and in, in, in so forth. So for the Scots, when they're making single malt, again, for the most part, they're thinking about that grain from a yield standpoint. But from a beer standpoint, do you, do you do the same? Does that, you know, you just want the good grains to give you as much yield as you can for your beer? Or or does it play a bigger part, you know, perhaps as big a part as yeast does? We have to be much, much more cognizant about grain that goes in. I mean, we're talking 1% to 2% of a specialty grain or something different will completely alter the beer. Wow. Uh, grain is, I won't say singularly the most important, but I probably could. Okay. Uh, our mash bills vary vastly from beer type to beer type. Uh, your flavor and even the length of fermentation depends on, are you going to use a lager yeast? Are you going to use an ale yeast? Is it going to be wild, yeah. spontaneously fermented? Yeah. What temperature... It's much more, I don't want to say it's much more specific, but at the same time, it, it, it kind of is. If our fermentation lags from like a six-day fermentation and takes a little while longer, mm. you're going to taste that. Oh, okay. If our fermentation temperature is a degree off, a degree hot, a degree warm, you're going to taste it. Wow. If we didn't let the yeast sit in the beer for X amount of time after fermentation to remove compounds and clean up after itself, you would taste that in the beer. It's, you're not looking at wood. You're not stripping anything out through distillation. You're not getting to pick and choose with distillation. Mm -hmm. So what you start with and your ingredients are absolutely paramount to the end product. Whereas if you have some grain and distillation that doesn't quite have enough enzymes and say your wash comes out instead of the 8% you mentioned, it's 7-8. You might not notice that. Uh, Some whiskey people listening are probably like, shut the fuck up. You're wrong. You will notice. Uh, I'm a brewer, not a distiller. So you've you've met whiskey people. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what do you what what do you think when you look over at the whiskey world? Obviously, everything you're using is stainless steel, clean to within a, an inch of its life, and that's an inch beyond its life. <laughs> and you look over at at Scotch, for example, and we've got wooden washbacks, and those that use wooden washbacks will tell you, oh yeah, it gets it a bit funky mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Like, do how do you? Look at that. What goes through your head when you think about the funkiness uh, that goes into the war that becomes the wash that becomes the distilled spirit? It would make life so much easier if I could get away with that. <laughs> I mean, just just cleaning one of our fermentation vessels is you'll do like a cold water rinse, a hot water rinse using hot water and like a 3% caustic solution. Mm. 
and we're talking like 150 to 170 degree water and huh. you're running that depending on how many soils are sticking to the inside of the vessel for 15 20 minutes wow and then you're rinsing that with hot water and then you're hitting it with an acid solution at two percent to remove any um, calcification or, or beer stone mm-hmm. and then you're cooling that tank down with cold water and then adding sanitizer and then sanitizing that tank each steps like that 15 minute cycle 20 minute cycle time so to just rinse out a wash back or a fermentation vessel and that's it and put more into it that would save so much time and money and <laughs> i'm a little jealous but you know <laughs> apples to oranges we're making beer they're making whiskey it's interesting when you talk about the importance of fermentation. Our good friend Gordon Bruce at Nokdu Distillery, uh, behind the Anok brand, thinks that the, the Mashman uh, is the guy on site hmm. who who makes a distillery. Uh, and even it's interesting because it, when in my own mind, when I consider a brew a brewer, you're going from fermentation basically into a bottle, into a pint. There's nowhere to hide. Mm. I think for some people, the idea is if you're a distiller, yeah, you take what you've brewed and then you distill it. It gives you another level to play with, a, a little place to hide. And speaking to Gordon Bruce, that place simply does not exist. If you screw up the mash, if you screw up the fermentation, the product that you send out as wash if you've done it wrong, you'll have already screwed the pooch wow. on what your distillery can produce. Wow. And new make spirit and barrel maturation is not bringing it back. And I and I like hearing that from Gordon, and, and it definitely jives with what you're saying, Skinny, that when you start involving yeast in the process, you got to get it right at that stage. <laughs> There's no place to rein it in beyond that yeah yep and that's why it's interesting when hearing listening to podcasts and they're like oh yeah fermentation it goes from this temperature range to this temperature range and i'm like oh god oh, it's giving me a panic attack <laughs> like i can only imagine like walking into the brewery and seeing a tank fermenting at like 80 degrees and be going oh god oh no what happened it's that's a shitload down the drain <laughs> you know what we're talking about right now uh, makes me think of what we were just talking about just a couple of minutes ago, where you know, you had mentioned even a, a one percent change in grain here or there would make uh, a huge difference, and maybe slight variances in temperature. Like, is that going to affect the beer so significantly that uh, that you know that everybody would notice? Well, we're coming back into that C word. Oh, right. <clears throat> Consistency. <laughs> oh, oh, not the one. The okay. Yeah, so not the, the plumber's a good one. friend of mine. <clears throat> so generally, probably not. With the three of us and other people who have pretty developed palates oh. or are familiar with tasting it, they will probably notice if they've had this product before. Okay, okay, right. But, you know, if we're doing a special one-off beer... Mm. That one-off beer, whether it's me that designs the recipe and has the final idea in mind, or our owner, or our production manager, or, or some of our other brewers or cellarmen, mm-hmm. if it's not what we are looking for, 
then we screwed up somewhere and we will notice. Each, <laughs> each beer is, uh, it's, you know, when I create something, it's kind of like my baby. I want it to succeed. I don't necessarily care if you like it, they like it. Hmm. It needs to move across the bar. Yes, sales are a consideration. <laughs> but yeah. if I have a vision and a flavor profile that I'm looking for and I achieve that, that's a success. Okay. And you care for it and you take care of it. Um, right. So yes and no, I guess is the answer to that question. You know, are yeah. you of the minds? Are you of the mind skinny that if you design and uh, and produce something that to your mind is something you would want to drink, you will inevitably find the audience for that? The beer world audience is luckily pretty large, especially up here. You know, you can't throw rock without hitting a brewery. Uh, <laughs> yep. In my opinion, there are far too many breweries that have found an audience that don't deserve one. Oh, yes. There is breweries that make beer-ish that Uh succeed and somehow do well. And I'm not going to name names. And some of these are just actually great people and having a pint with them is a fun time. And it's just they got a lot to learn or Mm. they're missing something. Mm -hmm. Um. You might find an audience, but it's probably much like the whiskey world. You know, some people absolutely hate peat or smoke. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, You can taste them on whatever you want, but as soon as they pick that up, they're going to go, no. It's it's the same thing. You know, certain beers are going to be marketed for beer nerds, and you're just going to make them in a smaller quantity. Mm -hmm. Like, I've got... A dry Irish stout right now sitting in an expeded Westland cask that we'll put on nitro. And that beer is <sighs> not for everyone. Oh my gosh. But that beer with a cigar, holy oh, hell. Gosh, that's, well, I'm I cannot, right up my alley. I can't believe I cannot currently fly to the Pacific Northwest <laughs> to indulge my senses in all of that. <laughs> right. That is, that's very sad. Yeah. So, so the, the boys from Northern Brewer. Um, I, I think I'm remembering the name correctly, uh, Homebrew Supply Store. Yes. They would do a, a video series, really fantastic, a lot of experimentation going on, and they did open vessel fermentation. Right. Is there, A, have you had the chance to do that? B, is there room for you to do that in a commercial realm? And C, given what we just talked about with the, the cleanup of steel tanks, is there a desire to do anything like that? <laughs> So you just asked about a thousand questions that I'm going to try and answer. I know it seemed like a few, but it's going to require some healthy expansion. Take your time. Our listeners are here for the yeast. That they are. Oh, yeah. By the way, don't drink a bunch of yeast. It'll give you gout. Like, no no kidding. Or you can actually... Gout? Really? It can give you gout. Yeah. Okay. And also, yeah. it can give you auto brewer syndrome if you consume too much of it. Oh, right. What's the auto erotics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not auto erotic asphyxiation. <laughs> <laughs> but what is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> like, you really need to ask that question. We should be asking you. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently tying a mic line around my neck. But you keep going, keep answering the question. Um, open fermentation is actually. <laughs> 
really cool idea, and there are successful commercial breweries that do open fermentation or spontaneous or wild fermentation. One of my favorite breweries on the planet is Jester King, just outside of Austin. And they do a lot of open fermentation, spontaneous fermentation. They do, they utilize what's called a cool ship, which Mm. is a shallow, it can be a metal or wood vessel, and you pump your hot wort into it and you let it cool (laughs) open overnight before you rack it into either stainless or casks or whatever vessel you're going to let the fermentation go in. Mm -hmm. There is a downside to this because you won't really know what you've got until you've just decided to take the plunge and make it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It could come out Mm. tasting like rubber, acetone. You can get really funky, like umami, mushroomy flavors that you don't really want in a pint. (laughs) However, what they've done and what you're finding with these sour beers or these open fermentation beers is it's very, very much along the line that Wesleyan thinks and terroir person, Mm -hmm. time, place, local ingredients are typically used at least for Jester King or there's a place up here called garden path. So it's, it's its own separate style of brewing. Now, we make sour beers at Black Raven as well. They're limited release. They take a lot more time. Some of these are in cask for two, three, four, five years to develop these flavor profiles that you're looking for. Maybe you're two, you're getting that real rubbery kind of acetone-y, vinegary thing going on. You let these wild yeasts figure it out and continue to age, and all of a sudden at the end you've got this nice barnyardy hay-like aroma and this really <laughs> complex flavor. Huh. Yeah, we've, we've seen it local here in Virginia where some brewers will take kind of the, the open vessel to one of the local vineyards mm-hmm. or a local orchard and leave the open vessel there, maybe 24 hours, and collect the wild yeast from there. And I've, I wouldn't say there's any wild yeast experiments that I've really fallen in love with, but you get to use the word interesting a lot. <laughs> Indeed. And sour and wild beers aren't for everyone. Same thing with beers that utilize Britannomyces aren't for everyone. Oh, um, speaking my language. You like Brett beers? <laughs> oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. That little bit of bile in the back of them. Oh. Mm-hmm. The problem that I had getting into sour beers, at least on the outset, was that when I poured them and tasted them, it almost t- tasted as if I was drinking someone else's vomit. <laughs> it can happen. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> you know, all seriousness aside, I, I don't really understand how one makes a sour beer. Um, could you just go into a little bit of detail how... You know, how does one make a beer sour? How, how do you, uh, uh, is it a yeast thing? Is it a bacteria thing? How, how do you do that? You can do sours a number of ways. You can get lab pitches that are lactobacillus or pedococcus and kind of make your own blend. You can literally just set wort out like we were talking about, open air, let it cool. The yeast is naturally in the air and it'll start fermentation. It's that simple. Or you can 
say you've used a cask previously for sour beer, those microbes are still alive in there. You just pitch right into it. Mm. Okay. Okay, so the bacteria here seems to be, uh, you know, the dominant organism in this relationship here. But would would the bacteria and yeast work together, kind of like, a, you know, a SCOBY works for, you know, producing kombucha or something like that? Correct. Um, they can work in concert with other strains of yeast and other strains of bacteria, but eventually at one point, one will take over. Okay. Okay. Hmm. But if you've already used like uh, typical brewer's yeast and American ale yeast, ESB yeast, whatever, what have you, you want to use, mm. even Belgian yeast, and then you put it in a cask with sour yeast, uh, we make the joke that Britannomyces will literally eat through a cask. <laughs> it will eat any remaining sugar. Mm. It will make the beers absolutely bone dry. We're talking like... Point zero zero one Plato specific gravity. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Wow! <laughs> so it will just eat any residual sugar and add its lactic acid or its other byproducts and off products of the yeast and create esters and flavors. Okay. So are you then trying to? Is it is it a timing issue then, where you're trying to get it sour enough without becoming so dry? that, as we say in Scotland, it puckers your asshole? <laughs> or are you paying close attention to it and saying, it's given us the flavors we want, it's got a level of, of dryness and astringency that we're looking for, but this is now the flav- flavor profile we're going ahead with? We kind of do it both ways. We'll actually brew a beer with extra body, extra head retention, extra proteins, and we can manipulate that via the mash bill or via mash temperature, sparge temperatures, just so it retains body and keeps some of those proteins and long-chain sugars in. So these sour yeast or wild yeast have a little bit more to eat, and it gives us a little bit of wiggle room. But a lot of times when you're in a production brewery, like we have been, or like I am, and we just opened a new facility. A lot of bandwidth went to opening that new facility. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you get to them and you go, well, I didn't pay enough attention to that. We didn't have the time or the money to deal with that at this time. So <laughs> uh, that cask is going down the drain. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, because it just rips the enamel off your teeth? Is that the... There's some of that, or sometimes it's just too oxidized. Oxygen um, is actually the biggest struggle for any brewery. Huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah oxygen sense. pickup, any beer that gets oxidized ends up tasting like cardboard or like yep. artificial yep. fruits or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that so, car- cardboard note from oxidized whiskeys when you leave just that little millimeter or two, inch or two in the bottom. And it, yeah, I always say cardboard. And wet dog is often yep. a, a flavor profile as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. So yep. is so it sounds like aging. It so to make sense of this, when we talk about new make whiskey spirit going into a barrel, the joy is that oak operates like a sponge. You've got passage in and passage out, and that's really what makes whiskey whiskey. 
when you then put your beer into the same type of cask and oxygen is the enemy of the brewer, it sounds like you're playing with fire there. Pretty much, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> always a risk. You're always anticipating. Uh, I generally go for a wide margin and say probably 35%, 33, one third uh, loss. Wow. You always mm. anticipate for that. One third taste. loss within what amount of time? Yeah. At the life of the project. Oh, okay. Okay. So some we age for six months, some for 12 months. Sour casks can go for years. And a lot of that is just taking care of your casks or the condition of the casks when we get them. Sure. And we will generally put them on their ends, fill the heads with hot water, spray the outsides with like 180 degree water to make sure that everything is wet and sealed. And then we'll purge the entire cask with CO2 before and while we are filling the casks Holy to keep moly. oxygen at bay. <laughs> <laughs> what a project. Yeah, it's it takes a lot. A lot of these breweries that do big barrel programs, I would shudder to look at their loss, but mm. you know, they've also done it so many times, they probably have it a little bit more down to a science. Sure, sure. So you're you're battling oxygen both on the flavor side of things, the, the oxidation side of things, but also on the evaporation side of things. Mm-hmm. So answer me this. <laughs> Why on God's green earth did brewers start putting beer into barrels? Uh, ask the English, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, That's then, all they had. Otherwise it was a puddle yep. on the floor. <laughs> yep. Um, I think it was initially just cheap storage. Mm. You know, stainless is expensive. Oh, check this out. We got these X whiskey barrels. I can throw some beer in them, and then the beer that comes out, oh, there may be something to this. I think it yeah. was probably purely just accident or cheap and a way to save money. You know, lazy is the mother of invention, they say. <laughs> so, jo- Joshy, I've done a lot of talking on the, the brewer scene. Do you want to lead us into the, the barrel aged um, Westland? Yeah, yeah, sure. Just uh, hold on. Let me uh, grab my bottle and get a little pour of it before I uh, go ahead and lay that. Oh, fuck. We haven't talked about movies. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah, right. People are now starting to give us their opinions on it. Yeah. Come on, quick. What year were you born? 87. 87. So what's your experience with Indiana Jones? Love them. Seen all of them. The second okay. one is the worst. Yep, smart man. Uh-huh. And hear me out. Before you say anything, <laughs> oh, just yes. shut the fuck up. <laughs> I love it. Yes. You own this. Own this, Skinny. The fourth Indiana Jones does work, but you have to view it through the lens of the other three. You can't look at it as being made in 2012 or six or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> Seven. Look at it. <laughs> as it was made in that time period and the kind of uh-huh. jokes and funny behavior of Indiana Jones and the comedy going through them. And then it makes a lot more sense. I, th- I should buy that. Sure. Aliens a little out there, but mole rum ripping someone's heart out of their chest and it beating in his hand. <laughs> really? <laughs> Kalima, Kalima, you know, just so you're aware, we are actually recording this. So people are, are listening in 
and they're hearing all of your words and everything that you have to say about Indiana Jones. Making ju- I mean, I'm going to have a copy of this recording, too, so just keep that in mind. <laughs> well, I, I do have to come clean. I did revisit the fourth Indiana Jones, and I have to say, upon another watch, it was... Look at you. Look at yeah, you letting yourself have fun. Yeah, it, yep. it, was, it was okay. It was, it was much better than I remembered it, especially in the theater where I just thought it was a a flaming pile of garbage. You know, the biggest thing for me was going to see that, and I just found the movie moved so damn slow. But, you know, again, watching it this time around, it wasn't nearly as slow. Oh, no, yeah, it's not slow at all. The fact that when I actually came to the wacky alien finale... Mm -hmm. I remember sitting there thinking, "We're here already." <laughs> like this is, wow. But but I think I think your point resonates, Joshua. That you and I, being slightly younger, cha- older chaps, yeah, Jesus, yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah, slightly slightly older than than skinny. You've got fourteen years on him. I've got thirteen years on him. Uh-huh. We looked forward. To that fourth installment of Indy. Indy was coming back. Oh, yeah. And I think we went in with such expectations that we were the assholes in the room. <laughs> and I think if you just open your heart, Skinny is nodding his head as I say this. And Skinny is saying, yes, you guys are always the assholes in the room. <laughs> yeah, nodding works great for a podcast. Everyone's going to get that. <laughs> I always nod for the benefit of the guest. But given that the guest is nodding, I feel like I need to continue that on to the, to the listenership. So, so I do. I, I think now that we revisit the fourth in 2020, mm-hmm. you and I, Joshua, say... You know, that that wasn't so bad, and yeah. Yale photographed beautifully. Oh, yeah. And Shia LaBeouf, who seemed like a bit of a douche at the time, hasn't, you know, I, I'm quite happy he's mostly disappeared, <laughs> and I can enjoy his performance a little more. It's very silly, and I think, Skinny, you're spot on. And, and I've always made that argument. If you take the fourth with the silliness that we allowed the first, the second, and the third, mm. it absolutely fits within it. Mm-hmm. Is it a 21st century movie? By no stretch of the imagination. But is it fun if you let yourself have fun? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Beyond okay. that weirdness, there, I only had two real problems with the film, and that was him swinging on the vines with the monkeys. Oh, 100%. Cause that part, it I was just, like, really? He didn't come on, need yeah, that. It's like, have stupid, someone riding but... a motorcycle. You could have kicked a guy off a motorcycle than that. <laughs> and then the other thing I have a problem with is the motorcycle he did ride was supposed to be an old motorcycle, and I just noticed all sorts of modern things. Oh. And, but, you know, okay. nitpicking there. Go on, give, give us one very... I'm not, a, I'm not a vehicle guy at all. Give us one very quick... Should have been old, but was obviously new. Uh, the motorcycle experience. had twin front disc brakes. Interesting. It would have been a drum oh. in the 40s. Oh, and I think beautiful. it was, or, it was yeah, that was filmed in the 40s. 50s. 57. Yeah. Still would have had drums. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It was an well, old military WLA f- Harley that it was supposed to be. So. Oh, okay. How wonderful is that? That's <laughs> magnificent. You've taken our normal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we we normally. When's he? Is he the next guest? Because I can keep talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I would give my left nut to interview Steven Spielberg. And then, to be honest with you, we might only talk about movies. It might not come to whiskey at any point. Steven, given that you're listening, reach out to us. Questions at One Nation Under Whiskey. We'll set something up. Your people, our people. We'll make it happen. Wrestling collaboration with Black Raven, you had coffee stout and American cherry sour beer casks that you put the Westland spirit into. Well, we gave it back to them and they put Westland spirit into it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So who so who in this grand scheme of things thought single malt produced in Seattle would marry well with Coffee stout and American cherry sour. I don't. Were you part of that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Conversation, uh, kind of interrogation. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just kind of weird. It's like you're interrogating him about this cherry stout. Coffee stout and American no, cherry co- sour. Coffee stout. The coffee. St- okay. Is the it coffee? coffee? Yeah, coffee stout. <laughs> the coffee stout. Uh-huh. I feel like that four-letter c word's going to come out sense. soon. <laughs> yep, makes perfect sense. With the five. Malt mash bill. That exactly. The Westland Five Malt Mash Bill. The coffee stout and the sour. Cherry sour. Yes. Cherry sour. Yes. Sour. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm just, uh, the point I'm trying to get at is you're really, it's like you're interrogating him. Like, whose choice was it to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if he was part of the process on this. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just. <laughs> You seemed like you were. I'm asking Skinny about his involvement in it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> it's like it's like we're having an interview or something, as opposed to just sitting here drinking and having a chat. Oh fuck! This is an How interview? you doing? How's your little league team? <laughs> so, I introduced Black Raven to Westland because of my previous relationship with Westland, and basically just being in there little cantilever room all the time drinking whiskey hanging out (laughs) and you know trading beer became friends with the guys and scott is really the helm of the cask exchange program at westland okay he helmed the whole cask exchange program so eventually after hanging out with shane and scott and tyler and a lot of the guys and ellie and everyone that works there we got to talking. I just brought beers in to hang out, and we decided we would do this cask exchange thing. And mm, nice. we had the previous year brewed this Featherweather Mocha Stout, coffee, mm. chocolate. And this year, I just, or the year we did this, I kind of just snuck some casks in and filled <laughs> them up with it and said, Well, we're doing this. Sorry. And ask for forgiveness. <laughs> because So they they were fine with whatever you wanted to put into those casks? They they have no restrictions as to what you put in their casks. Oh. Okay. They're always up to trying interesting things. I don't think they trust everyone. <laughs> I'm gonna say they don't just because it makes me feel special. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're you are we're special. here for you, Skinny. We support you. <laughs> and so we gave those casks back to them. 
they refilled them after holding our chocolate stout, our mocha stout. And we were coming up to a release of our Creek Sour. Mm. I reached out to Scott and Shane. I was like, hey, I don't think this has ever been done before. I don't think there has ever been a spirit, and certainly not a single malt, released in an X sour or wild ale cask. Yeah, right. And they were kind of like, oh, yeah, sure. We'll take the casks off your hand, fill them up, see what comes out. Good <laughs> suck, but we gain a data point. Yeah, right. And it just so happens it really worked out. It, on its own, it was interesting. A lot more of the sour came through. Um, but combined with the spirit out of the mocha stout casks, mm. it really toned everything down and everything did kind of just fit like gears. They just meshed together. And what you ended up with is this, which you get the Westland character and the Westland spirit. You, if you're familiar with Westland, you're pretty much going to know it's Westland. Mm-hmm. You also get these lovely bright, red fruit and cherry notes, but somehow, and Joshua alluded to it earlier, the chocolate really does bring it together. It's that kind of base note that the coffee is kind of floating yeah. on yeah. and combines and melds with the cherry and the spirit, character of the spirit. Yeah, it's um, my. It's, a, it's amazing how, how well that chocolatey note comes through and and how it really uh, you know I think paired well with that with that coffee stout another thing that I like about it too is with the with that cherry sour cask at least I think that's where this is coming from there's this like real pleasant dry you know dryness coming through on the finish it's not astringent by any stretch, but it's just nice and pleasantly drying. Maybe even a like a, a touch tart. It's really just a nice juxtaposition. Yes. So that is going to both be cask driven. Um, the sour cask likely, I believe, it had white wine before we got a hold of it. Oh, okay. So it never had a spirit in it. It was not an ex Westland cask okay. that we gave to them. So when the spirit went in there, it went through all the cherry sour that it soaked in and also pulled some extra tannins. Uh, but some of that dryness is also the fact that it was a sour beer that did finish at, you know, 0.00 Play-Doh and was incredibly dry. Now, my takeaway from it is in tasting it is the Westland mash bill comes so much to the fore for me hmm. and the chocolate malt that exists within Westland really jives with the coffee stout and the cherry sour, mm. as we were starting to discuss earlier. I, I think it's such a... I, you always hate to say things like, this is my favorite Westland, <laughs> but I, I, this, this is in my top five Westland. Oh, yeah. It's really in my top three, but for <laughs> the interest of the podcast, I'll say top, top five. five. <laughs> <laughs> so there's still places to go. But I, I, I think it's a I think it's a wonderful representation of Westland. I think it's a wonderful representation of what Black Raven is producing. And I think when you see these types of crossover projects, I think it's easy to say that's ah, a bit of a gimmick. 
Hmm. Oh, that's a bit of a bring one party to the other party's project. I think as a product, I think it is elevated because of the two parties Mm -hmm. collaborating. I think that's what everybody should look for from any spirits, beer, whiskey, what have you, collaboration. I I can see looking at it that way, and I can see people getting kind of uppity about it, and all I have to say is uh, the project was fucking fun, and that's what (laughs) we wanted to do. We wanted to try something new, and if it made something good, hell yeah, we're going to run with it. What's, What's wrong if it tastes good? Yep, 100%. Skinny, I want to get back to something that you said a little earlier when we were talking about yeast. And you suggested that uh, yeast was generational, right? And that as the generations went on, the yeast itself would would change or maybe not be as impactful, um, or maybe not viable, you know, I wonder if you could explain that a bit further, because my understanding was that yeast was yeast was yeast. You know, you've got distilleries like Four Roses that, that protect their yeast and they're, they're always, you know, regenerating it or I, you know, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, basically ensuring that that particular strain always stays alive, that they're always using it for that consistency of flavor, depending on, you know, what, what product it is they're using that yeast for. Could you touch on, you know, how yeast can degrade over, over generations? In generation 20, you might start getting extra odd flavors that don't contribute to the profile of the beer. Also, over time, inevitably, say you need a little extra yeast for this beer or you didn't quite have enough for this one, the yeast could become stressed, less viable, less healthy, more mm-hmm. prone to dying or putting off off flavors. Okay. It's really a viability issue and a contamination issue. Each time you reuse that yeast... Say someone forgets to place sanitizer in a port before they hook up to that tank. Yeah. You might get that tiny portion that has some other bacteria and then it propagates and propagates and propagates. Uh, okay. So it's really just to, again, the C word, not the four-letter one, consistency. So if that yeast were to take on some of that bacteria that you just mentioned, would that make the yeast you know, evolve in, in some way? Uh, there, there can be some evolution, or uh, I would call a loss of viability, a de-evolution of oh, yeast. Okay, okay. And if you want to get really geeky, you have a tank that's in the shape of a V. When you cool that tank down, mm-hmm. the most dead, early flocculating yeast that <laughs> only did work at the beginning mm-hmm. is dead and at the bottom. You want to get rid of that. Similarly, you don't want to skim the yeast off the top because it took a long time to do its job before finishing and dropping out of solution. So you want to only get that center portion of this yeast bed that's created when you cold crash a tank. Okay. Like heads, hearts, Mm. and tails. Yeah. Seems pretty straightforward. Easy enough. It's it's not that complex. I mean, there's micro biology guys that could delve way more into it and other brewers that had like an actual schooling background (laughs) that could probably delve a lot more into it but 
Yeah, you know, if you get some of that bottom yeast or some of that top yeast, generation over generation, you're still propagating some of that. Mm -hmm. So the viability and the activity of the entire yeast culture is going to drop off okay. or produce off flavors. But but that's why it's always been so fascinating that walking into the Westland Distillery, they're a distiller who cold crashes their yeast to keep those impurities out of the wash and into the distillate. So yeah, it's, the fact it's that interesting. More distilleries don't do that kind of boggles my mind. Right? One just right. from oh. cleaning the stills. Like <laughs> you're not taking so many solids or so much crap through them. You got a better wash. Is it wash at this point still? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You got a better wash or a cleaner wash to work with. Yeah. Now, maybe that's not what you're but, after. But then we're then we're back to the old then we're back to the oak washbacks. Right, you, yep. you can't cold crash an oak washback. <laughs> you you let it ferment, you let it fall out a solution, you move it through into your still room. But what have you really done with the solids that occupy the bottom of your mash tun or your 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 washback at that stage? Right, it's <laughs> nobody's thinking about it. It's wacky. Nobody in Scotland is cold crashing their yeast. Yeah, I mean, if they're also you know, very, very stuck on tradition. I Stuck is a negative connotation, sorry. They are very upholding of their tradition. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if it works, why change it? If they're getting the flavor they're after that they're known for, it's not exactly. necessarily a bad mm. thing or a wrong thing. Yeah, I think but what Westland's doing with that cold crashing is maybe creating something that really plays to their house style. Yeah. That's probably yeah. part of it. Yeah, it becomes their tradition. Yeah. But but that was the thing for me, what, maybe 15 years ago when people kept saying, oh, Japanese whiskey, Jason, how do you feel about Japanese whiskey? I was like, it's fantastic. They've got the largest R&D budgets in the world. <laughs> and in Scotland, we're busy dealing in tradition. Well, why not investigate what it is we're doing? How are we doing it? And let's work to make this better. And so I think that's what's needed in Scotch is a full understanding and exploration of what makes tradition. It was Dave Bruma said it to us on the podcast. Today's innovation is tomorrow's, tomorrow's tradition. tradition. Mm, yep. Yeah. That was yep. a great right? line. Right? It's a great uh, thought process, honestly. Yeah. And to me, that's Matt Hoffman in a nutshell. And yeah. why Westland is doing something with cold crashing yeast that we are absolutely not doing in Scotland. And it's not to say one's better and one's worse. It's just what could Scotch be if you were able to parse these types of innovations? Mm. Uh, it's always fun to walk into Westland and you know, I'll talk with whoever's on the stills or whoever's mashing that day and they're sometimes they're working with some like weird grain variety and it's always interesting to kind of see what they do with mm. it. And again, that innovation could be fruitful for them, but they're also not afraid of finding out that, Oh fuck, that didn't work. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Which is, which is the, is that C word that's run through this entire interview with you, skinny <laughs> is the C word can be the greatest thing in the world. Mm. It can also be the thing that keeps you from innovating. And in, in my mind, it would be the worst thing in the world. That's That to me is the constant trade-off yeah. that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 
Uh, and luckily in the beer world, it's always push the envelope, try new things. And I'm, I'm enjoying, well, I'll be enjoying that once we return to normalcy and I can <laughs> get back to my facility and doing the weird shit. <laughs> so, so, so Joshua, if you will let me take the lead here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go with ahead. that in mind, Skinny, we'll get out of here on this. We we alone, and I don't know what it's like for you in, in Connecticut, Joshua. For us in Virginia, the last count, we had 175 working breweries in the state of Virginia. Mm. If you go to San Diego County, they had 175 operational craft breweries. I don't even know your Seattle, I Western, <laughs> Washington, Washington number, but but clearly, virtually every town in America now has a craft brewer, uh, if not a craft distiller. What do you see writ large for your industry? Right now, that's a difficult question. Uh, You're welcome. Following... <laughs> This COVID-19 pandemic, you're going to see a lot of breweries fold. You're going to see a lot of businesses shore up. A lot of tap rooms are going to be no longer. And it's really unfortunate. What I see and what I hope to see are probably a little different. Um, Go on. We're already starting to see loggers and pilsners mm. become the next hazy IPA, the next trend-setting thing. Huh. That's here and now. In the future, we'll swing back around or find another style. And there's always innovation pushing that. There's always a reason to do new odd things. Mm -hmm. Because if you're the first, doesn't matter if you do it best. You want to be best, <laughs> but the first people who did Brute IPA, which is a super dry, like uh -huh. champagne dry IPA, uh -huh. I'm guessing that was probably an accident. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just things like that. You don't, you don't know what's going to take off. What I hope is that we'll see an embracement of more historical styles, more odd things you don't see. We'll see more beer nerds and mm. I'll be able to brew beer I really want to explore and drink. That's what I hope for. Is there a grain that you're particularly drawn to? This might be an open-ended question. Ooh, like Is there this. something that has your fascination? I like this idea. Grain-wise, I always like trying new things. There's a kind of a hybrid we used this past year called well, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. Triticale, triticale. I don't know, but it's kind of like a hybrid between rye and wheat. Hmm. So that's a really interesting one I'd like to revisit. I would like to visit the uh, Egyptian strain that's kind of purple and try it out. But very much my focus currently is kind of aligning with Westland, the person, place, time, and with Jester King Brewery and with Garden Path. I really want to hyper-localize and show people what we can create just out of stuff in our backyard and just within our community. So local ingredients, maybe harvesting 
yeast from local farms out of the air, using local fruit if we're doing a fruit sour, mm. local hops, which lucky up here is, you know, you throw a rock <laughs> yeah. and you can go get new hops. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners that might be curious how to get their hands on some bottles or some cans of of Black Raven, uh, can you tell me or tell us where you're distributed? Are you in Washington only, or are you starting to gain some ground nationally? Uh, we're all over Washington State, west and east side. We're breaking into some of Idaho. We're in Alaska, okay. funny enough, and in <laughs> Hawaii. Uh, early this year, we were working on getting into Oregon and the Portland market, mm-hmm. but, you know, COVID had other plans. <laughs> Shit happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That big thing that lockdown and yeah. people getting laid off and yeah. yeah. Does it ring a bell? It sounds terrible, horrible. You're, you're supposed to inject uh, Lysol to pro- or no bleach <laughs> to protect yourself from it, right? Is that what I heard? I have been twice a day. Yep. I feel right. fantastic. Yep. Maybe fantastic. stick a stick a light yep. bulb up your ass or you know, something like that. I think that'll help you. <laughs> was I not supposed to say the quiet part aloud? Some somehow have stumbled upon rule thirty four of the internet. This is fantastic. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> we almost got out of here before rule thirty four. Oh jeez. It happened. I don't know what to tell you, chaps. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for thank you for your time, Skinny. No, cheers, guys. This has been fun. I got to drink whiskey midday and have an excuse for it. <laughs> I'm not just an alcoholic today. <laughs> cheers. Thanks so much, Skinny. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yes. That is red cherry Tootsie Roll pop on the nose. Oh, my gosh. That is a perfect (laughs) note. I think of the owl, you know, when when the little boy goes, Mr. Owl, how many licks does it get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop? Yep. You ever you ever made it to the center without biting it? Uh, I have, I have, I, I have yeah, willpower. It's, it's me too. I did it like once, <laughs> but I've done it a couple of times, a few times. So I realized we we came out of this exclaiming, "Oh my gosh, the, <laughs> smell that, taste that!" But people don't know what the heck we're talking about. Yeah, it was a nice return to the Westland uh, Black Raven collaboration. Uh. Um, you know, as we as we said in the lead-in, the coffee stout and American cherry sour beer casks yep. that just did wonderful, remarkable things. You and I have tasted a lot of Westland. We've mm-hmm. had the opportunity to bottle a little bit of Westland. This, for me, is a front runner for one of my favorite Westlands. Well, there's no doubt about it. It's it's so chocolatey and rich there's this chocolate and nut covered banana note across the mm-hmm. mid palate yep. for me as well yep. and yep. what I love about this and I think we discussed this with Skinny in the conversation and this you know this is a hint to everybody that we're recording this before I've edited the conversation and listened back to it but I'm so I'm going by memory but we talked about that really pleasant drying effect on the mm-hmm. finish, mm-hmm. right? And it's not astringent. It's just so pleasantly drying, and it just reminds me of, like, powdered chocolate 
on on something like dark powdered chocolate on something is so lovely. See, for me, it's when a really dark stout dries at the back of the palate, mm. and you end up taking another sip of the stout just to get moisture back into your mouth. Mm-hmm. It's reminiscent of that type of drying experience. Yeah. That's terrific. Oh. Really, really terrific. Yeah, so it's, uh, let me see, bottled at 50% alcohol. This was released, what, two years ago now? Ballpark, yeah. yeah. Time doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it was distillery only. Well, I think it was a combination of being sold at the distillery, at Westland Distillery and, the and at the at Black Raven Brewing. So we're yeah. very lucky to, to each get a bottle of this. Before we go on any further, we need to thank Matt because he took out a good portion of his time to talk with us and, and pick his brain about beer and, and, and tell dirty jokes with us. And we thank him for doing that. Well, and it's one of those moments where you're not just talking with somebody who's a, a good representative of their industry. He's also a good friend. He's also a great supporter of Single Cast Nation. Mm-hmm. He and his, his partner, Meg, uh, are hugely supportive. And he listens to the podcast. I know. You know, <laughs> you know he's, he's one of the first people to post comments about the latest podcast on you know, Facebook, Instagram. Like he's, he's a really tremendous supporter of us and we of him. That we are. Yep. And that for us is what it's all about. That two-way street of admiration. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said. Yeah, cheers, Skinny. Thanks, thanks, buddy. It was great to spend time with you and drink your beer with you and, and mm. drink some great whiskey. Yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping a time comes, Jason, when you and I can get back out to Seattle. We'll go mm-hmm. to Westland and then we'll go over to Redmond to the Black Raven uh, Brewing Company. Only if we fly out of St. Louis. That's the only way we can make it work. Uh, on that note, I feel a transition coming on. Oh, are you going through the... Is that happening? Go you getting a little little hot flash? A hot, hot flash. There's a hot flash coming on. Is it officially on. manopause for you? It is. I am. I'm, I'm turning 46, Joshua. All bets are off now. <laughs> <laughs> there is a transition. We need to transition to just a little bit of news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Life story, a flavor, it's penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. Me and that flavor, it's What would you like to tell the dear listeners about with regards to this short news segment? Other than it's short? Is that the news that our news segment is short? <laughs> that would be very meta. <laughs> yeah, that would be very meta. That's how to lose <laughs> listeners. I was with them until they got meta. Think how many bands became meta and lost listenerships. This reminds me really quickly. I was just thinking of this the other day. Nobody believed you could keep it short, Joshua. Nobody no, believed no, it. Okay. No, now I get too excited. It doesn't stay short. Anyway, so me and my buddy, my buddy Al, Uncle Al, you did you mm-hmm. meet Uncle Al? Mm-hmm. You did mm-hmm. meet Uncle Al. It's cool. Back just after high school, you know, we we both of us were in the hardcore scene, and we decided to start this hard pornography though hardcore. You're both in the hardcore pornography scene. Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't specify. We're in the hardcore pornography. No, I'm with you. Hardcore music, punk, hardcore, that type of stuff. Ska. Continuing on. I wish Um, I wish with all my heart. (laughs) 
that our listeners could have seen your face. I said ska to get that exact response. I am so pleased with myself right now. I'm just going to sit back quietly, enjoy the rest of this story, the rest of this news segment. My work here is done, Joshua. I'll catch you on the email segment. I tell you, I'm, this whole time, this whole time, I'm trying to pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, but you're slowing it down. Anyway. I wish everybody could see your faces. You almost did a spit take when I skanked it up for you. Anyway. I applaud you. That was good. That was good. <laughs> Me and my buddy Al came out with this, uh, with this magazine, uh, like a hardcore local Connecticut scene uh, magazine, and I had a section that was just called the Connecticut Scene Report, and it was a blank page. And I just, I just, that was, that was meta back before I even knew what meta was. That was, <sighs> what year are we talking about? Almost 30 years ago. Anyway, <laughs> we have a, sh- we have a short news segment. The one thing I want to bring up, Jason, uh-huh. is the, is the fact that as of the day of this podcast going live, yes, our Kalila eight-year-old Sherry Butt matured yep. Isla single malt for yep. Single Cast Nation Online yep. has also gone live. It has. It has. If, if you're listening to this podcast before noon Eastern on Wednesday, July 1st, you might want to get your trigger finger ready on your keyboard because big things mm. are going to happen that day. We have 474 bottles going on sale that day. So again, as we've talked about on and off here, you know, we're hoping it's an increased number. We're hoping to share the love. We're hoping hoping more people will be able to make a purchase there. We have had tremendous success with our single cask. Again, Sherry Butt, first fill Sherry Butt, blended malt, releasing mm-hmm. 594 bottles of that has That's been tremendous, tremendous, where... We had the usual noon run. You know, I think we sold 200 bottles in the first 10 minutes, which is right on course with, with what we're yep. seeing for everything else. But the good news was there was another 394 bottles available for sale. And so mm-hmm. it's been selling. People have been receiving their original order. We're seeing repeat orders happening on the blended malt, which mm-hmm. is magnificent. That's really, yeah. really happy. People are going to the website when we're doing these Zoom tastings. They're seeing at least one bottle for sale. It doesn't look like we're completely out of business. <laughs> and so that's been lovely. It, it is. It's really interesting. When you and I started an independent bottling company, and I know we're keeping the news segment short, but... <laughs> When you Are and we? I, when you hey, and I started, nobody pick believed. It up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> I hope at some point you at least play the track over the top of that, because that's oh, going to be awesome. Me. Oh, trust me. Um, when you and I, when you and I launched this independent bottling company, I never thought we were aiming for a day when we would be pleased as punch that something didn't sell out in minutes or hours <laughs> or a day or a weekend. Like, uh-huh. it's still in the shop. We're so happy. <laughs> like, it's a very, so weird. very strange. We thought it was strange when we were hiding URLs. 
right? We would we would make a product page, we would have it ready to go when the, the going live would happen, but we would be hiding that URL so that people couldn't find it and sell out our bottles. <laughs> like we oh thought that was weird. Now being happy that they're not selling out is weird, but I, I am I'm a hundred percent genuinely happy that we still have blended malt for sale. Yep, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. I but don't think the same is going to be true of the Kalila. I, d- I don't think so either. I'm, you know, the good news is we have plenty of nation members who believed in us when we released our blended malt 12-year-old a year and a half ago, two years ago or so. Same people are supporting us again in this 10-year-old blended malt, and then they're reordering. So that's that's been great. It's been nice to be able to show off blended malt, and if people have been hesitant about the category, if we have been the ones to show them that blended malt can be great, uh, then then that makes me feel good. Now, this is now a single malt in sherry, yep. and we already know people tend to lean toward the single malt more than they do the blended malt. So I think that you're right. This one might not last as long. Was there another bit of news that we needed to get to? We're going to let people know that the sixth retail release continues to sell well on store shelves so well that there's no longer any in our warehouse. And so if distributors got their allocations, that's it. That's it for it. So if if your local store has it and you see it, please pick it up. If they don't have it and you would like it, let them know to reach out to the distributor. We have a list of current distributors on our website, singlecastnation.com. Mm-hmm. And and then, and this is a, a little bit like the blended malt, a different end of the spectrum, our Altmore 30-year-old first fill sherry butt is the one that we still have in the warehouse because we brought in a full butt of 30-year-old whiskey. That's mm-hmm. not something you sell out in 10 minutes. And so, so if anybody has picked that up at a retailer and it's now disappeared off the shelf and you'd like another, there is more of that available. It has been selling terrifically, but it still sits in the warehouse. So if you're, if you're interested, if you're intrigued, it's a real little doozy. We've poured it at a series of Zoom tastings. We mm-hmm. poured it as recently as last evening uh, before mm-hmm. recording this one today. And it is... It's a here's here's the thing. It does exactly what we said earlier in the podcast in our intro to Skinny. The Altmore spirit is there even at 30 years. The first fill sherry has not overwhelmed that. It's not a glass of sherry that came from the Altmore distillery. It's a 30-year-old <laughs> Altmore complemented, framed by the first fill sherry. Perfect, perfect. And and so just, just to be very clear, in case some people are passively listening to this segment, the Altmore 30-year-old is for retail shops only. Mm-hmm, 100%. So we're talking two different things. The Colila 8-year-old sherry cask, that is for online sales, only available at Single Cask Nation. But the Altmore 30-year-old was part of our sixth retail release in the U.S., and that is for retail shelves. You go to your retailer to look for that. And like Jason had said, we still have a bit left in our warehouse. So if you don't see it, do not fret. 
our distributors may have it. And if they're out of it, we have more available to them if they want to place their order with us. Yeah, spot on. I just want to get out of here real quickly. Okay, we've, so talk- we go. we've talked about our 24-year-old Kentucky Straight Bourbon on the podcast previously. Mm-hmm. Only mm-hmm. update I want to give the listeners, because I know a lot of our listeners get their news about us here first. That label has been approved by the TTB. Mm-hmm. So the, the project continues on a pace. So continue to tune in, continue to follow the Single Cast Nation private members Facebook page. 24-year-old, 1994 Kentucky Straight Bourbon is continuing to happen. Very exciting. Yeah, so labels approved by the TTB. What I really love about that, just like with our Bowmore that we did, mm-hmm. And our Imperial 30-year-old that we did, mm-hmm. we supplied the TTB with the information on the label, but never the artwork. There can be plenty of TTB trollers out there who like to find stuff and post it, but at least we get to surprise people with our artwork. And I'm, we will. I'm really excited about the artwork on this label. We will. Yeah, mention the Imperial. The Imperial's now in the United States. We're just not releasing it. Yep. That'll be on sale in a week or two. So anyway... Watch this space. Uh, let's move on, Jason, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, to... I feel a transition coming over us. <laughs> pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Next transition. I feel it. I think it's high time, Jason, you and I move over to the email segment. We got, like you had hinted at before our conversation with Skinny. I you did. You hinted at an email that had, that had come in. I did. It was a lovely email as well. Yep. It was inspired by our episode uh, with Amanda Schuster. Mm -hmm. Did you want to read it or would you like me to read it? I don't have a copy in front of me. I've got the email right in front of me, Jason. I wouldn't mind reading it if you'll allow me to read it for our listeners. I would love to listen to you read Christopher Sebastian's words. I'm going to skip to the second half of the email. Okay. First off, the, the subject is just cocktails, one exclamation point. See, that's and a sensible person. Sensible. It is. Yeah. One exclamation two, point tells you everything you need to know. Okay, what would it tell you if he used two exclamation points? Two exclamation points. I'm watching that person carefully to see where they take this. They might bring it back on track or they might just completely go off piste. So I'm watching you carefully. Okay. All right. And three exclamation points. What happens three. there? Three exclamation points are the result of a syphilitic mind. (laughs) A syphilitic mind. That is so good. Well, I'm glad to report that uh, Christopher Sebastian does not have syphilis. So apparently, because he only used the one exclamation point. He's a sensible chap. Good on you, Chris. Um, So, second part of his email, uh, which is entitled Cocktails, one exclamation point says, <laughs> says, loved the conversation with Amanda Schuster back at the beginning of May. You all had a great dynamic for your conversation, and I loved her down-to-earth attitude while still showing all her knowledge. As an offshoot of part of the conversation about replacing ingredients when trying to make a cocktail, David Wondrich, to whom Amanda referred when talking about her book research, 
has been doing a daily thread on Twitter, which he calls his lo-fi lush hour. Oh, I like that. Instead of rush hour, it's lush hour. Catchy. It's something I look forward to every day during quarantine, and he takes us through different cocktails step by step, even discussing possible replacements if you don't have the specific ingredients he is using. It's been a great exercise for me as a home bartender who is still gaining the principles of drink making. I have, like Joshua, made a signature cocktail for a friend's wedding, although I wasn't quite so quote-unquote, cunning at the naming of the processes he was. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Listeners wanting to know what that means, go back and listen to the Amanda Schuster episode. Anyways, he goes on and he says, but if anyone is interested in learning more about the process of building drinks, I would definitely recommend checking out the threads on Twitter. There are 60 plus at this point. And Christopher sent this email in May where we've been really lagging when it comes to towards towards the end of yeah. may though towards the end but okay. it's also now towards the end of june that is well actually this goes live on july 1 so we're really quite far away gosh time <laughs> he didn't has send it no that long meaning. ago it was, it was 2018 right exactly uh, <laughs> time has no meaning oh you know what, gosh what i love about this email is seeing our listeners putting all of these items together Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Amanda mentions Dave Wondrich and Christopher finds this thread. He's been wanting to get more into cocktails. He's getting information from Amanda, information from David. Like this is just such a wonderful coming together in a way. And I, I'm just really happy we could be a part of that. Well, and I know that that during this incredibly difficult time to be alive, a lot of people are taking solace in cooking. And some mm-hmm. people are taking solace in knitting or crafting. And some people are taking solace in making cocktails. And mm-hmm. it's it, it's all to the same end. It's something to focus your energy and your creative energy into to get to just take your mind off of how difficult it all is right now. Um, yeah. the, the, the reason you and I are, are pressing ahead with whiskey selections, right? And, and you know, the, the second UK release and the seventh you know, US retail release and the next wave of online releases for Single mm-hmm. Cast Nation, it's, it's all an, att- an attempt to focus that nervous energy, that active mind on something meaningful. And the fact mm. that you could connect those dots through Amanda, through David, at through us, it's magnificent, really magnificent. And I, I did. I told him when I when the email came in, like I, I love reading this, and and that's why I wanted us to to put yeah. it on the podcast to really yeah. hold it up and say we can do good things, creative things, fun things, shareable things. You know, we're, we're still all in this together. Let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. If you, dear listener, like Christopher Sebastian. Want to reach out to us. If you have any questions for us, please email us at questions at One Nation Under Whiskey. You can also uh, tweet at us if you like. We are at One Nation Whiskey. You can send us an Instagram private message at One Nation Under Whiskey. Or you can go to our Facebook group page and post there or send us a message there. Just go to Facebook and look for One Nation Under Whiskey and make sure 
dear listener, not to use the E in whiskey because that will get you nowhere. We don't use the E. I want to throw something out there. We need to close out, right? We're, we're getting toward the end. But there's something that I want to say. We, we missed something in our last Extra Extra It's All About Whiskey podcast. Which actually, is also been getting nice feedback. It's been getting very nice feedback. And actually, I would say we probably missed a few dozen items uh, in, in last week's episode, which was, if you're a regular listener, you'd know it was talking about women within the whiskey world, women now making whiskey and selling whiskey and designing whiskey and so on. And while we did mention a few more names than James Tapper did, the author of the article we were reading, we also failed to mention our dear friend and our own in-house female, Jess Lomas. And I think we yes. also missed Holly Sidewand, who's a good friend of ours. We may have missed her name as well. It's very likely so. we are we are idiots. And that old that old saw of missing Missing the woods for the trees, missing the forest mm-hmm. for the trees, or being unable to see the nose on the front of your face. Those closest to us, those nearest and dearest to us mm-hmm. were omitted. And that was something yeah. very regrettable. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad we could revisit that. I'm glad we could you know, begin to set the record straight. So. Well, just reading this, this email that is focused around Amanda Schuster, there's another name we didn't mention in the podcast, right? You know, she's she's the editor at uh, the Alcohol Professor, yeah. right? So yeah. many good names we missed. So uh, if we missed anyone else, Megan Murdoch of Glenrinus Distillery, right? If we missed anyone else, this is a blanket apology. We didn't mean to. It's just nice to know that there are so many women now within the industry that number keeps to grow that we have the ability to forget. And that's, I wanted to say, not not looking for us to polish the turd of our own making, but <laughs> but to be able to say, yes, that that is a list that is getting longer all the time. And it's yeah. not going to be possible to name every woman on it. And hopefully that becomes a good thing. But we just have to be careful we don't continue to embarrass ourselves by missing our own Jess Lomas. That's, that's damn foolish. Oof. On that Mia Culpa. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, you, okay, you want to leave on a, on a Mia Culpa? I, I'm Scottish. I'm, I'm always happy to, to close on a Mia Culpa, but you're American. You take us out on a happy note. You know what? I'm also a Jew. So let's I, I leave it at the Mia Culpa. <laughs> let's play something sad before we get to our theme song. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know what? I I am going to leave us on a on a nice um, uh-huh. 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 on a nice mm-hmm. gesture to everybody. Okay. This episode goes live on July 1. I want to wish everyone within the U.S. a happy 4th of July when it comes. I hope you're able to celebrate and do so safely with friends and family. If you've got fireworks, you can see from a safe distance safely from other people. I hope you enjoy it. It's The 4th of July has always been fun for me, not like I'm 
you know, I'm not the biggest flag waving hoorah, you know, American, but I, I'm an American. I love being an American. I love being in America. And the 4th of July is just a fun friends and family time for, for me. So I wish that to everyone else. And for those non U.S. residents, I, I wish you a, a convivial Saturday afternoon. There's literally nothing left to say. We are both (laughs) out of here. Chin-chin. Chin-chin.